Welcome to If You Only Knew, brought to you by the Diversity Movement, where Dr. Debbie Stroman talks race and diversity in sports with some of the most influential leaders at the intersection of athletics and racial equity. On today's episode, Dr. Debbie brings on Martin McNair, president of the Jordan McNair Foundation and author of Can My Child Play? Martin experienced the most devastating loss a parent could ever face, but he's using his son's tragedy to save lives. Here's your host, UNC professor, entrepreneur, speaker, consultant, and advocate, Dr. Debbie Stroman. Welcome to If You Only Knew with Dr. Debbie Stroman. I'm very, very blessed and honored to have a friend visiting with me today, Mr. Marty McNair, who lost his son tragically in June of 2018. Marty, thank you so much for being on the program today. I want to talk to you about that tragedy, that atrocity, and talk about what you're doing now to make a difference in the world of sports for athletes. Welcome, Marty. Thanks again for coming. Thank you, Debbie. As always, it's always a pleasure to be on one of your shows and obviously to be interviewed by you. So thank you for giving us a platform to tell our story. Absolutely. So, of course, it's important to go back and share exactly what happened. And then we're going to move towards your amazing foundation that's operating today. Tell us what happened. Great. So, uh, Debbie, in 2018, actually June the 27th, of, June the 29th of 2018 was a typical day Jordan had my son Jordan, uh, who was a highly recruited football player, student athlete. He decided to go to University of Maryland. We decided to go as a family. On May 27th, we got a call stating that there had been an emergency. Jordan had had a seizure on the football field. I'm thinking initially, you know, what's going on? Because Jordan was a healthy guy, hadn't been in the hospital since the day he was born. We basically said he had a seizure on the field. And me being a total optimist, didn't really kind of push the panic button in a sense. And, and when we got to the hospital, he was in a cooling suit, what they call a bear suit. And basically what that does is that it's an attempt to wrap around, you put submit the, submerge the body in it, and it's an attempt to get your body temperature down to under 104 degrees. At this particular time, Debbie, I had no clue. Jordan's mom had no clue on what a heat-related injury was because, like I just said, he was a healthy guy. He was 6'5". 300 pounds, size 16 shoe. I never really thought anything about it. When we started to kind of hear what was going on, I kind of came in the hospital and still trying to grapple around what was going on with Jordan. I just started asking some basic questions of the staff that was there, the athletic training staff that was there in regards to what happened, had any of this ever happened on their shift before. It kind of went from me speaking to my son on May 28th of 2018 to, and it was basically a typical Hey, son, I know practice starts tomorrow. Have a good week. I love you, and I'll talk to you later in the week. And then we went from that conversation to, son, if you can hear me, squeeze my finger. Son, if you can hear me, blink your eyes. We were really kind of like under the impression of what had really happened at that particular time. I wasn't really aware of what a heat stroke was or any type of heat-related injury. I thought a heat stroke was just that. You were out in the sun too long. And basically, all you really did need to do was really to cool down. I never really had any idea that a heat stroke could be tragic or it would be fatal. And I had no idea how preventable that they were in a sense. Over the next two weeks, we went from a healthy kid Tuesday, Tuesday morning to an emergency liver transplant Friday evening. 
the conversations that we had, he went from one hospital and he was airlifted to University of Maryland Shock Trauma Center. One of the first doctors that we spoke to when we got there just really, really emphasized how sick Jordan was. As I just said, and you'll probably hear me say this quite a few times, I was totally oblivious and totally uneducated about what a heat-related injury was. I was didn't know any of the stats, didn't have any idea of the 30-plus, the 30 kids that had died at the NCAA level since the year 2000, and Jordan was number 31. This was a predictable injury, a statistical injury, where you would lose two to three student-athletes every year, always on the first day of practice. Mm. Usually, with, I mean, fatally, you would lose kids. And, and this was just a kind of a given. I totally, I didn't have, I wasn't educated about any of this. We kind of had to learn from, hey, how does a healthy kid go from, hey, dad, practice, hey, son, practice starts, you know, tomorrow, I'll talk to you later in the week, to, hey, we're having a liver transplant. And that doctor specifically said, if we don't go with this liver transplant, Jordan will be dead in 12 hours, just due to 85% of his liver has necrosis. Those that don't know, 85% of his liver was dead. And I'm sitting here thinking like, wait a minute, this is Friday. That was Tuesday. What happened? Mm. And one of the questions that we started to ask as parents was, you know, what did we ask while we were in the recruiting process? What did we ask when the coaches were sitting at kitchen table a couple of days before signing day? And the most important thing was, if we don't know these things, how many other parents in America don't know these things? The name of my book is called Can My Child Play? Because as a parent of a student athlete, of a lifelong student athlete, all I really asked was two questions. Why is my child playing and why isn't my child playing? And that's usually what most parents usually think about. While Jordan was being recruited or that last meeting with coaches from uh, University of Maryland at the time, as a father, I only asked two questions. And my two questions was, can Jordan get some playing time? By me being in a mental health and substance abuse arena, I just asked what was the support around mental health and substance abuse? And that was it. I didn't think to ask, you know, in the event that my child gets hurt, what systems do you have in place? I didn't know anything about an emergency action plan. I didn't know anything about a cold water tub. If he got hurt, can he play? If he gets hurt, what are they going to do? Particular program or the school, what systems that they have in place? I really didn't have any clue about any of this information. To be honest with you, Debbie, we just assumed that they would know what to do, whatever that looks like. Yeah, let me just want to thank you so much for sharing that background. And I want to just recognize your resilience, your strength uh, to move forward and to take uh, such a tragedy and work to help others. I want to make sure that I go back and recognize the fact that you're an athlete. Your wife was an athlete. So tell us about your backgrounds in the sense that as athletes, we do take on the world and we have so much confidence in so many areas, but here's an area where you didn't have it all. You know, you didn't have all that information and data that we would think that everyone would know. Right. Well, you know, Debbie, even when you look at being an athlete growing up and, and look at all many, look at all the times that I was always a basketball player. When I remember being in high school, you look at football players and when you only have team practices only with no prevention measures in place. That's right. There was no athletic training staff. I mean, when you have team practices only, guess what? You only have the, the captain of the team, you know, on hot days, doing two a days. And a lot of times where water was, you were considered weak if you wanted a water break. That's you know, right. so again, when you look back at it, it kind of makes you shriek almost because it's kind of like, wow, you know, that was an accident waiting to happen. As me being an athlete coming up, we were kind of left to our own devices in regards to planned out. I was telling somebody recently that when I played basketball as a teenager coming up, we weren't as advanced as we are now as far as sponsors and things like that. 
you basically had skins and you had shirts. You know, you put, you played in every intramural neighborhood basketball league you possibly could, and you didn't have all of these sneaker sponsors. And the only the only T-shirts that we had, our T-shirts matched, and our high school uniforms matched, and you may have gotten a pair of high school basketball sneakers for the team. But it really wasn't that same consistency that it is now in a lot of programs and a lot of AAU programs, in a sense. You didn't no, have the- you're, you're spot on. In fact, it makes me think about some of my critique of the commercialization of high school and college, and in particular with football, that they're practicing now two times a day. Sometimes the the football day is from, what, as soon as you get out of classes, one o'clock until like eight o'clock at night. And that includes practice, film, meeting with your specialty coaches, the nutrition piece, all of that. And so with all of that, so many hours devoted to the development of the athlete, but yet they're not winning any more ball games and oh, we sure, did way back when when exactly. we had you know yeah, two and a half hour practices and you go home exactly. so you're starting to wonder again i know it's a beautiful experience what is the trade-off long term of just working your body working your body so much at such a, such a young age well hey debbie i, I think and that's an excellent question i think the trade-off may boil down to i think everybody now most student athletes have to be empowered i like to call it master in the mundane Right. And again, you want to get in the habit of mastering these basic skill sets. And like you just said, Debbie, a lot of people that get to the next level, and that may just be even college, you know, when you look at percentages and then you look at the next group of percentages that get to the NFL, literally, if you're not willing to dedicate at least 16 hours of your entire day to your profession, you're not going to make it. And we both know our, our friend Robert Turner that percentages are only 1.6 student athletes are going to make it there. And you're only going to stay there or maybe a a couple more points longer than that. So I think that the trade-off would be to really, if you're not willing to master these mundane skill sets to play at that level, I mean, you may not make it there. At the end of the day, the trade-off is never really fair because I think as a student athlete, they have to realize that this is my body. This is my business right here. Nobody can tell me how to run my business. You can give me ideas on how to make my business better, but at the end of the day, guess what? I'm expendable to someone else. So therefore, I have to really just kind of have a level of self-empowerment to take better care of myself. Yeah. So let's talk about responsibility and not specific to your case, but in general, when we talk about high school athletics, we talk about college athletics, and certainly here in North Carolina, we've done a lot of work, not enough, but we've done a lot of work to ensure that there is a healthcare professional as defined as an athletic trainer with Mm -hmm. our high school athletics. Athletic trainer must be present but we think about college sports and certainly we have a different level of funding. There are some programs that have the ability to have not only a team doctor, but also the nutritionist, the strength and conditioning coach, X, Y, Z, just a a long list of people, as they say, suits who are helping out the athletes. And then you have a situation where young people, they're coming into college, they're coming into big time sports in their high schools, and all they think about is how do I make to the NFL? How do I make to the NBA or to the professional level? So they aren't necessarily keeping in mind health and safety. And then you have the coaches who have a lot of pressure to win. Now, again, I'm not saying it's right or it's fair, but the point is many of their thinking, many of them are thinking about maybe I can go to the next level. And if I get one more win mm-hmm. or if I can convince this athlete to do some extra reps, it could make a difference in my career. Yep. And then you've got the healthcare professionals who are doing this on the side. Yep. 
right? Because again, funding issues. And so let's talk about responsibility in those three areas, the, the athlete, the coaches, and then the support staff, the healthcare professionals. Debbie, let, let me share this with you. One of the things that right before COVID kicked in, I was at a couple high schools, Tampa and a part of Florida called Apopka. And this was the first high school that I had spoken to. And, and what we did this year in regards to the mission of the foundation is promote awareness, education, and prevention of heat-related injuries. As opposed to last year when we first started, or the year before last, we were very football-centric, right? But the more and more my um, voice had kind of gained some momentum, or our voice had gained some momentum, I started talking to a lot more athletic trainers and just concerned parents. What we decided to do coming into 2020 was, we're not just going to talk to football players, we're going to talk to everybody. We're talking to student athletes, because guess what? We already know, Debbie, unfortunately, we've lost seven kids in the last two months, literally. And we lost four in the last in the last week and a half, the last two weeks. So again, we have to educate our young people more. But this was the first school that I had spoken to, the first group of um, student athletes I talked to, and it may have been, you name it, everybody from baseball, softball, lacrosse, soccer, all outside sports were there in attendance. And with this particular school, they had a student athlete athletic trainer. And this was the first time I saw that. What I mean specifically is the benefit of that would have been to uh, literally you have to educate young people on the signs and symptoms of injuries because you and I both know as a coach, there's no way possible that you can see every uh, symptom of you got hundreds of kids on the field. You may have a team of five to 10 coaches and they can't catch everything. What I saw was with that particular school, a lot of the kids were in tune to learn what the signs and symptoms of where they can look at each other and see with the bit, I mean, see how to catch some, some of these signs and symptoms of any type of injury. Back to your initial question with high school, Debbie, you know, a lot of times some schools just don't have the budget for all of the extras, an athletic trainer, a doctor or, or a medical staff person or the suits. They just don't have that in the budget. You have to educate more people, more student athletes in regards to what these injuries look like and the prevention, not only the injuries, but the prevention thing. When it comes to coaches, Debbie, this is what I think. I think that all coaches, I'm a proponent and a big supporter of coaches because I know I've educated quite a few coaches, hundreds of coaches, to say the least. One of the biggest fears when we do pre-tests and post-tests, but when we do pre-test questions, one of the biggest fears of any coach is that a child will get hurt or worse, die on their watch. Mm. I think that it's always about positioning because guess what? I always want to win one more game because everybody, you know, and you and I both know this, every, a lot of coaches, really, everybody's trying to get to the next level themselves, whether assistant coach is trying to get to a offensive coordinator's position or the offensive coordinator's position is trying to, he's trying to get to the NFL. Like everybody's using that platform as an incremental step to a higher income or a higher a higher level in a sense. Mm-hmm. At times, you know, it boils down to the more educated that everybody is. Because guess what? When you look at 30 plus kids that died prior to Jordan, right? The 30 kids that died prior to Jordan. When you look at these seven kids that died over the last two weeks, it's always that one thing that's missing. And the one consistent thing that was missing was prevention. Mm-hmm. There's a cold water tub. Like you mean to tell me, like I was amazed that 30 plus times there wasn't a cold water tub on the field. Something that's so simplistic as that gets missed. Well, tell our audience what you've done, because I know you've stepped up with the foundation and helping. Yeah. So what we try to focus on is grassroots efforts. What we did was our main goal is really to promote awareness, education, and prevention around heat-related injuries. 
and to diminish heat-related deaths. We can't stop them, but let's cut down on a number of through those things of education, awareness, and prevention. Because again, so what we decided to do, Debbie, was we started donating cold water tubs to programs. We've donated programs. It didn't matter what the sport was. If you need one, we're not interested in your budget. All these things. Guess what? A cold water tub is a Rubbermaid stock tank you can buy at any tractor supply store, a kiddie pool that you can buy at any Walmart. And when people said, guess what? We don't have that in our budget. Guess what, Debbie? It's only, I'm, I, I donated 250 of them last year from Alaska to Florida, and we only paid 99, $89 to $99 per. We never really said, hey, you can't afford one and you should be able to, but we just knew that we had to educate people. If you don't have one, this is what you do. This Here's one for you. I think a lot of times, Debbie, people totally overlook the basics of prevention. Nowadays, I mean, something, a heat-related injury is literally 100% preventable to the point where, guess what, if a kid, if you look at the signs and symptoms and you catch them, guess what, that kid can go home and have dinner with their families as opposed to that kid goes to the hospital and their liver is dead and they own a, a transplant list or organ transplant list or something like that. Can you imagine our thoughts when the doctor said our, our Jordan's liver was 85% dead, 85% necrosis? In three days, what happened? Where was the damage done at? The damage was done while he was in the process of this heat stroke. So, hey, Debbie, can I back up? Because when I talk about heat strokes, you know, I know it's a general term, but when you break it down, imagine your body, when your body temperature goes above 104 degrees, it's the equivalent of your body being in a microwave oven. So wow. all your organs are starting to cook. And therefore, you have probably a 15 to 20 minute window to cool first, transport second, meaning get this person in a cold water tub or a talk or a taco to get that cold, get that core temperature down. And that's the only way you're going to get it down. And guess what? When that doesn't happen, now you see how it can happen so quick. Well, that's a very, very powerful visual to share. Mm-hmm. That's very, very powerful. I really appreciate your action because Thank many you. people have talk. People collect money and people make statements, but to actually meet people where they need it the most and not being judgmental and saying that, what do you mean you can't afford, you know, right, something exactly. to buy, you know, right. you're just saying, you know what, you don't have to believe me right now, but I'm going to make this happen for you. Exactly. And it's going to arrive, do what it's supposed to do as Ray Charles would say. Right? Exactly. Thank you for that. Yep. I do work in this space around race and racism. For me, every system, every institution needs to have that racial lens on it. When I think about, the young men who are playing football, and it could be other outdoor sports, but in particular football, with all the concerns around health and safety, we know that many, many parents, white, brown, and black across the country are saying, whoa, I don't know about this football thing. Because of the lack of medical and healthcare professionals right there on the field, and because of the longstanding research now around head injuries, and about banging the head, in particular the second, third, fourth time and what that can do. And so many people of means, people who have the ability to choose, hmm, I'll play soccer, even though we know concussions are very high there as well. I'll play rugby, I'll play baseball, but I'm not going to play football. And the numbers have gone down. The NFL is concerned about that and they should be. But when we think about who's showing up to play football now, even more so than in the past, it's ending up with brown and black boys on the field. And so then when you layer in something like heat-related illnesses, how is this going to fall in our community? Similar to COVID-19, right? We know it's affecting everyone, 
but how does it fall disproportionately on brown and black communities? And so I don't know if your work is, uh, obviously you wanna help everybody, you wanna create awareness, understanding, prevention, all of that. But in particular, could you speak to black communities and brown yes. communities? Of please? course, and Debbie, thank you for, for asking me that because we have to be a little bit more definitive um, and by no means, the Jordan McNair Foundation doesn't have any type of, our mission doesn't have any racial or cultural barriers because right. at the end of the day, we all can relate to being a parent of a student athlete. Guess what? This affects everyone. However, Debbie, I think that one of the main things that you know, I want to emphasize, especially to college players and parents of college players, your child's worth to the NCAA is only worth $10,000. Mm. Ask me how I know. That was the life insurance policy that we had, that the NCAA had in regards to Jordan, $10,000. Wow. And, and that speaks volumes to the perspective of this is all your life is worth or your child's life is worth, 10,000 measly dollars. Mm. So therefore, Debbie, I think that, you know, especially with George Floyd, now you have awareness to a whole different degree that you've never had awareness before between black and brown players, because now, when you were looking at a lot of them right now at the height of it, and you had a lot of student athletes that were playing football at some schools in the Midwest and certain athletic trainers, head athletic trainers were saying racial things and they didn't even know that they were racial mm. until they woke up and was like, well, wait a minute, coach was talking to me like, you know, saying a lot of slide little remarks and things like that. But in reality, he was violating my civil rights in the sense. So he was saying some racially offensive things to me. The main thing is one of the things that, we just have to know what our self-worth is Yes. as a student athlete. And as your parent, as your child, I, I already know what it is. You know, you don't want to mess up your child's opportunity to go to a big school or whatever the case may be. And Debbie, I try to tell people in layman's terms all the times, guess what? If your child goes to school and it doesn't work out, they're not going to live with coach. They're coming back home to you. And I think people just kind of totally get away from this in a sense. If it does not work, your child is coming back home to you. Same way if your child signs that liability waiver that a lot of schools want you to sign right now, excluding them from liability if your child contracts COVID, guess what? They're not going to the coach's house. They're coming back to you. Mm -hmm. So where do we kind of put our foot down, take a, have a level of empowerment or a sense of empowerment? not only as a parent, but as a student athlete to say, guess what? Wait a minute. My life is worth more than this. Mm. My life is worth more than this. So I think Debbie, in regards to your question, and I'm that, you know, these are things that a lot of times are unfortunately the low hanging fruit in a lot of our communities. It's always going to get us an education. I remember when Jordan and I had went to Ohio State. Jordan wanted to go. He was Ohio State. I talk about that in my book when we went up there. We sat and spoke with Coach Urban Meyer. I remember Coach Meyer said, Mr. McNair, if you come to Ohio State or not, make sure you get a lifetime scholarship because these people are going to get everything that they can get out of you. That's right. Get something in return. Well, that's so, exactly it. I'm a big proponent of don't let the sport use you. You use the sport. Exactly. You use the sport. And that means you have to have vision yep. as in where will I be? Not yep. six months from now, but where will I be five years from now? Exactly. 20 years from now. And oftentimes, again, there's a lot of attractions, the carrots being waved in front of the bells and whistles, the beautiful yeah. shoes and the, yeah. and the gear. Yep. But somebody, if it's not you, somebody in your life, and hopefully that is that closed circle, yep. as in the people that can talk truth to you yep. and tell you reality, like parents yep. and oftentimes siblings. 
mm-hmm. that can say to you, hey, snap out of it. <laughs> you know, this isn't going to last very long. Yeah. So I want to close with sharing us, uh, telling the audience more about your book and how to get engaged with the foundation. Again, we appreciate so much what you and your staff is doing. Yep. Thank you. I wanted to share our story from a perspective that everybody could get something from it. I talk about fatherhood. I talk about my redemption. I wish I had a father in my life like I was just to tell me to, you know, slow down and not try to expedite life. Went through my challenges and I speak about that. Just really, that was my motivation to guide Jordan in a better direction where he would never have to experience those things. I also talk about our family and I talk about co-parenting, even though that's such a challenging subject these days. Co-parenting, me and Jordan's mom, Tanya, we kind of went our separate ways to six months when Jordan was six months, even though we had had a long history and I talk about that in the book as well. But one of the main things was we focused on him and we took ourselves out of the picture and his success was most important. And I talked about raising a child and a successful young man to go on to do what he's done. Not only to mention that, I try to empower parents as well to ask the right questions of coaches beyond can my child play. The name of the book is Can My Child Play? The Questions We Should Have Asked. Don't let your question start from a reactionary perspective. Our started from a reactionary perspective those two weeks while Jordan was fighting for his life. Now we started to ask ourselves, what did we forget? What did we miss? What did we ask? And like I told you, I asked two questions. Can he play? And what's your support around mental health and substance abuse? These are the main things that we really need to kind of focus on beyond that. Guess what? I encourage all parents, if you're asking questions and your questions aren't being answered to your level of comfort, maybe you should look at another program. And it's so much more, Debbie, because Debbie, you know, Jordan could have went anywhere. We had a lot of offers from a lot of schools. And Debbie, I got caught up in the blink, Debbie. You know, Mm -hmm. I've been to schools where the diamonds from the championship rings and the case even got to me. So, you know, if they got to a parent, exactly what they'll do to a kid and a student athlete. And one of the things when you're going walking down, especially in the recruitment process, and you're at a lot of schools and you're looking at, all of these players and they got their uniforms and their helmets and plaques, the, the ones that have gone on to play at a professional level. However, we aren't asking any more questions beyond that. How long did they stay? They got there, but how long were they really there? We're looking at short-term goals where we need to look at the long-term goals. Like what can my life be like after college? How can I position myself after college, after I graduate and utilize all of the time that you have to get a free education or it's not free, but I mean, utilize all of that information. And not be afraid to ask questions of any coaches. Ask questions from, hey, the athletic training staff. Ask questions from the head coach. Ask everybody besides the head coach on how they run their program. The strength and conditioning coach. Ask questions from the educational staff. These are things that we shouldn't just take for granted and assume that, guess what, they'll do the right thing or they know to do the right thing. Know these things before you make a conscious decision on where to send your child at. So what we do, Debbie... Uh, On top of that, we encourage education around awareness, education and prevention of heat-related injuries. Uh, We're always educating people on the signs and symptoms of. uh, We donate cold water tubs, so we are putting action to what we say we're going to do. Of course, we only donate 50 this year. We got a campaign now where we grade donate 50 cold water tubs. However, this year... Don't say only. Oh, right. Yeah. Not only. That one could save a life. Hey, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. So we're donating cold water tubs this year. And the main thing now, what we did this year was we asked for a lot more participation or a lot more accountability to the recipient of the tub. And what I mean by that, last year, Debbie, we would just donate cold water tubs to whoever needed one. And we'd say, hey, go to our 
uh, website and look at that 15 minute video or that three minute video, how to use it. Where now we're saying, guess what? Bring five to 10 people from your organization, get on a Zoom call. We can train you. And we specifically know that you've been vetted or you've been trained on how to use this process. Excellent. So we've been, we've been busy. We, we've definitely been busy. COVID hasn't really stopped us. A lot more Zoom calls these days and Zoom trainings. But yeah, we, we've definitely been busy. Anybody's interested in following us, please go to the JordanMcNairFoundation.org. Uh, you can purchase our book, Can My Child Play There? And I just think it's a read that everyone should take advantage of. Again, I appreciate you and all that you're doing. Thank you so much for sharing that story and the truth and the education that's needed in this space so much, so much. Thank you. So, Thank you Martin, for having me. We wish you continued success and I'm going to continue to promote your work, your foundation and, and lift you up. Thanks again for being with us today. If you only knew with Dr. Debbie Strum. Thank you, Debbie. I want the checks. You keep the bait. It's been exhausting carrying the weight. It's been exhausting carrying the weight. Been accused of stealing the refuse. That was Dr. Debbie Stroman with Martin McNair. To learn more about the Jordan McNair Foundation, visit thejordanmcnairfoundation.org. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you like the show, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And hit the subscribe button, too. That way, you'll be notified when next week's episode launches. This show was edited and produced by EarFluence and is brought to you by thediversitymovement.com. Intro and outro music for this episode is from Soteria, and you can find more of her music at IamSoteria.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on If You Only Knew with Dr. Debbie Stroman. Talk about the drama, but there's more to come. Semi-colon comma, the vultures are...